Amen. It is a pleasure to be with you this morning. Man, I'll tell you one thing. I'm, I'm thankful for Tony and Cass in the back working. Um, I, I get the signal, bro. I get it. I understand. So we're having a lot of technical difficulties. So as you can tell, we had the announcements up there. And for some reason, the sound wasn't projecting. And I'm sitting down and... Here's my sermon title just popped up. That means, Kevin, it's not working. It's your turn. Get up there, bud. <laughs> so <laughs> I get it, bro. I, I feel you, Tony. I feel you. Um, just pray for our church. It seems like we're always having some technical issues. Um, but you know what, man? We're still worshiping God. We're still singing. We're still preaching. We're still teaching. Um, thank God for technology. But technology is not all, right? We can do this without a mic. We can do this... Uh, without projectors, we can do this without any of these things. We, can, we just worship God outside if we must, and I thank God for that. So with that said, if you're a guest, welcome to First Baptist Church of Thibodeau. We're always excited to have guests with us, and we are in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, I'm sorry, chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. When you've arrived to the text, say word, Hebrews 13, 1 to 3. Can you please stand? We stand out of reverence to God's holy and righteous word. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again that as Christians, we are called to live differently. As Christians, we are called to love deeply. As Christians, we are called to have compassion and mercy and grace, to forgive. Thank you that what the Bible teaches and preaches about the blood of Jesus Christ, it has effects in our lives. We speak differently. We act differently if the gospel has truly transformed our hearts. So God, with that said, I pray that this morning, as Christians, we are designed to know more about your will for our lives. And if there are any in this room that do not know you as Lord and Savior, they will bow their hearts and knees to you, repent of their sins, and trust in Jesus Christ. In your mighty and precious name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. The title for today's sermon is The Christian Ethics. The Christian Ethics. There was a school experiment with some young students who grabbed a frog and put it in a container of water, and they began to heat up the water very slowly. As that would happen, as it, the water got to a, a point of boiling, the frog never tried to jump out of the water. For some reason, it seems like the frog was very all right with it, right? Like it wasn't affected by it until it was too late and the frog was bald alive. There's a great message here for us to understand. And this is exactly what the author of Hebrews wants us to see. Like the frog, we are in a culture that is constantly changing. The moral env environment of our culture changes often. And like the frog, we are in this pot and we are boiling. 
The environment is literally changing who we are. There, there are certain things that we used to stand on that we no longer stand for. And the reason why is because of the moral culture, the environment around us. So as we observe very carefully, we must see this. We can be dying without even noticing that we are dying. And this is a call for us Christians to wake up. Do not be like this frog. Do not be placed in a container where our environment is boiling us alive. Well, how do we do this? Well, it's our ethics. And what do you mean by ethic? Ethics has to do with the standards of conduct, our behavior, or moral judgment. Now, it is important for us to know this, that ethics will not work without doctrines, biblical doctrines. John MacArthur says it best. He says, doctrine is the foundation on which any practical ethic must be based. And when you look at this passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 13, the author of Hebrews wants us to see that doctrines should influence our ethics. It's either our ethics or being influenced by the culture or being stimulated by sound doctrine. And here specifically, we must observe what the New Testament writers are doing, specifically the author of Hebrews. So in the New Testament, they do this on a consistent basis. It's not like the Nike slogan, just do it. It's not just about ethics, but it's about biblical doctrines that stimulate your ethics, right? So what they would do on a consistent basis in the New Testament is that they would begin the epistle or their letter with a lot of doctrines. We see it in the book of Romans. The first 11 chapters of Romans is about what? Doctrines. And then in chapter 12, he begins with the imperative, the ethics, the practicality, what you must do. The author of Hebrews is doing the same thing here. He moves on from theology to practicality from exposition to exhortation, from creed to conduct, from doctrine to duty, from indicative statements to imperative commands. And he has done that throughout the book of Hebrews as well. For example, the first 11 chapters, he's been sharing about doctrines, especially chapter 11, the doctrine of faith. He defines faith for us. He tells us of the characteristics of faith altogether. And then he gets into chapter 12, and he says, Now you must act upon this. In view of the doctrine of faith, allow that to stimulate your ethics, your practicality. And how do you do this? You run the race before you. He does the same thing here again towards the end of chapter 12. In chapter 12, he shares that God is a consuming fire. And this is the doctrine of God's holiness in chapter 12. And he ends chapter 12 by telling us that God is a holy God. This is a doctrine. Now, in chapter 13, he says to us, apply it. Because God is a consuming fire, what must we do? We must love our brothers deeply. We must show hospitality to strangers. 
And we must remember those in prison. Doctrines influence our practicality. Come in closer. Come in closer and think deeply about this. How we think about God has everything to do with how we treat others. Your belief about God is shown in the way that, the way you treat others. So, so even some of us might say we have the right doctrine, but then we find ourselves treating people horribly. No, you might have the right doctrine up here, but not down here. Right biblical doctrine should cause us to love people deeply. Love God deeply, love people deeply. This is why when you find a group of people who become very legalistic, and they're saying, man, I am so holy, I am so set on, on Christ that I can't stand being around people. Everyone gets on my nerve. They're not holy as me. I'm like, there's a major problem with that. Because the closer you get to God, the deeper you will fall in love with people. The more patience you will have for people. This is the beauty of this text. We should love God deeply. Kent Hughes mentions this. This is why worship is so important. Because a proper grasp of God will guide our footsteps in the world. Here's a question that we should ask as we approach this text. If God is a consuming fire on Mount Sinai, Sinai and God is a consuming love on Mount Zion, what must we do? How must we approach God? And this is what Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 3 tells us. We approach God by loving our brothers deeply, showing hospitality, and remembering those who are in prison. Don't you just love Scripture? It tells us exactly what we must do. It tells us exactly who we are. It tells us who God is, and we must fall in love with Him. Don't you just love Scripture? This morning, I want us to see exactly what the text is teaching us here. After giving commands to pursue peace and holiness, in chapter 12, verses 14 through 29, the book of Hebrews presents three commands that deal with social life of the Christian. These three commands will be our points this morning. What are the commands? One, one, notice with me, point number one, we must continue in brotherly affection toward the saints. We must continue with brotherly affection toward the saints. We see this in verse one. Two, we must show hospitality towards strangers. And three, we must remember those who are in prison. Verse 1, verse 2, and verse 3. That's our three points. So point number one, we must continue in brotherly affection towards the saints. Now, listen, the primary moral standard of Christianity is love. And particularly here, it's love for your fellow believers. Love them deeply. The word that he uses here for love is Philadelphia, right? 
We know what Philadelphia is, the city of brotherly love. But this is two Greek words that makes up this one word for us. Phileo is love, great affection, tender affection towards someone. Adelphos is the word brother in Greek, but it's, it's brother to mean brother of the same womb, right? So if you have a great relationship with your sibling, you know how it feels to love your brother, to love your sister. They, they get on your nerves, they do things to you, but you have a deep love for them. Now, I'm not saying every single one of you have great relationships with your siblings, but some of you who do, you get this. But here's the deal. We need to bring that same love to those who are Christians. Have that deep love for them. But how can we love people like Jesus loved them? Simple ways, by, by helping them, right? Helping them. When it's not even convenient for you, go and help them by, by, by giving them a shoulder when, when, when they're hurting tremendously. By devoting your energy to them. There are so many ways that we can love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And friends, coming closer, coming closer. Love for other Christians is vital to the spiritual life. Do you get this? If you struggle tremendously with hate and bitterness and jealousy and frustration towards other Christians, you will not grow spiritually. Are you getting this? It will stunt your spiritual growth. It is vital. Love for my brothers and sisters in Christ is vital for the spiritual life. It's commanded throughout the epistles. For example, the apostle Peter mentions in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 23, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So love deeply your brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says it in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Love one another with, here it is, brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So here's a question that we must ask. Why is brotherly love important? Why is it important? And there are three main reasons I want you to see why it's important. One in particular, continuing in brotherly love reveals to us that we belong to God. Do you get it? You know, we, we, we struggle often in our Christianity. And sometimes we, we ask ourselves, am I, am I genuinely saved? Especially when we fall in sin. We ask ourselves this question, God, am I, am I saved? Am I saved? One of the clearest ways that you know that you belong to God is by the love that you have for other Christians. And this is exactly what Scripture tells us, right? 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of 
death into life because we love the brothers. This is the word of God. Whosoever does not love abides in death. So my love for other Christians revealed to me that God's love abides in me. Why is that? Because, because in and of myself, there is no way possible I can love other people. <laughs> I can't. Things they do, it gets on my nerve. I can't stand certain things. I can't stand being around people, right? If you, if you leave me to myself, that's what I would say. But because of the mercy and grace of God, because I have tasted the love of Jesus and I'm close to the heartbeat of Jesus, I know his heart beats for others. So therefore, I will love other people. Even when they are hard to love. You get this. It is so true. Second reason why it is important for us to continue in love are you listening? Coming closer. Continuing in brotherly love is one of the greatest evangel evangelistic tool. There you go. I can say it. Evangelistic tool in our tool belt. It is the greatest platform to share Jesus with the lost world. Let me give you an example of this. And I still want you to pray for this. One of my closest friends is Mr. Ronnie. I love Mr. Ronnie. I spent some time with Mr. Ronnie. Mr. Ronnie taught me how to play golf, and I go visit Mr. Ronnie. He had hip surgery, and I spent some time with him. He's like a grandfather that I always wanted, right? So I'd spend some time talking to him. And the coolest thing about this is the love that the church has for me and the love that I have for the church. Mr. Ronnie has met several people from this church. He's met John Fontenot. He has met, he's met Josh Armstrong. He, he, he met Jerry Revet. He met Greg Vaillant, Sean Snow, and Jody Snow. And every single one of them, he has mentioned this to me. Man, they're the most loving people that I have met. And he sees the love fest that we have among each other. <laughs> and I could tell that Mr. Ronnie is, is seeing something beautiful. And it, he's struggling with that. But it's a good thing, because you know what happens? This love that the church has for one another is used as this great tool to share Christ with others. And there are people in your own lives. If all you do is talk bad about people who come to church here, what you're doing is you're becoming a stumbling block to others so they won't see the truth like they ought to. But, but if you talk highly of your relationship with others in the church, man, we, we're reading scripture together. This is my brother. This is my sister. I pray for this one. This one's going through a tough time. It is used as a great platform to share Christ, to draw others to Jesus. You don't believe me? Listen to the words of Christ. This is what he mentions in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is a great tool. Three, continuing in brotherly love pleases God. God is pleased when he sees us in this love fest. 
loving each other, praying for each other, confessing, forgiving, showing mercy and grace to each other. God is delighted and well-pleased. You know why? Parents, you get this. What breaks your heart above all things is to see your children fighting and hating each other. It absolutely breaks our heart. Because I look and I see, this is my son, my son, my daughter, my daughter. Get along, right? Get along. And I, I get it, you're going to fight every now and then, but if I see there is a sense of hate, it destroys me. It destroys you. And what about I have a father who looks down and he sees two brothers and sisters in Christ and what they're doing is they're fighting and hating each other. God is not pleased with such attitude. You don't believe me? Let Scripture speak to, speak to you right now. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, he says this, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. These are Christians. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? So if you're faced with the fact that God is a consuming fire, and you love the fact that He is a consuming love, then your response is to love His people. Treat them with respect. Pray for them. Serve them. Instead of gossiping and slandering and hating them. Notice with me the second point. The second point here is this. We must show hospitality to strangers. You see it in your own Bibles. So he transitions from let brotherly love continue. Then he says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Right? And here specifically, I want you to observe this because in that particular time, showing hospitality was very, very important for the Christian. And one of the main reasons was because the hotels they would have, the inns that they would have then, were absolutely horrible. We, we have record upon record of, of history telling us that there were lots of fleas in those hotels or inns, right? A lot of criminal activities would happen in those inns, right? But what you must observe as well is we have something very similar in our culture. Maybe not hotels, but maybe motels, right? We, 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 we could identify with, with, with them here and we say, well, motel, motels are very difficult places. So imagine that a Christian who's traveling, traveling to come visit and he's staying in a motel. There are criminals and fleas and there are all kinds of horrible things going on. And here are the Christians with extra rooms, enjoying their life, enjoying their night, and yet showing no hospitality. This is exactly what the author is attacking here. As Christians, we must be hospitable. We must be hospitable. But specifically, notice what else he mentions here to encourage us to be hospitable. 
He says this to us, and he says, For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. <laughs> I mean, they, they have entertained angels by simply being hospitable. And here specifically, I believe that the author is referring to several Old Testament passages of Scripture. One in particular he's thinking about is Genesis chapter 18, when Abraham entertained three angels. And one particularly was the Lord, Jesus Christ. But he was very hospitable. In Judges chapter 6, verse 11, we have another example of Manoah's he was the father of Samson, and yet he was very hospitable to an angel, and the Lord blessed him tremendously. We have another example with Gideon who encountered the, an angel under an oak, and yet he was very hospitable. So what exactly is it that he's saying to us here? He's not saying to us that we need to be hospitable for the only reason, the main reason of entertaining angels. Man, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet an angel today, so I'm just going to be hospitable. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to invite this person in my house, and, and maybe he's an angel, right? That's not what he's saying here at all. He's saying this to us, and coming closer, and don't miss this. He's saying to us that hospitality is so important to God it is, it, it is as if when you invite someone to your house, you have no clue who that person is. That God views hospitality as something very, very important. We're not lucking out. <laughs> or maybe I'll get an angel in my house. No, I'm inviting someone to my home to eat with me, to pray with me, to spend some time with me. Because my God loves it. He wants me to do it. I'm coming close and I need you to get this because I believe in the culture we're living in today, we are very busy, busy people. Our children have school. As soon as they get out of school, they're in sports. As soon as they're done with sports, they have homework. It starts on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Saturday, we have more sports, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. Sunday is the only time we have a little break. We come to church, and then we start all of this over again on Monday. So do I even have time to show hospitality? We should. We should make time. Friends, why? Because this is important to God. When we do not invite people to our homes, and we do not show hospitality towards others, we are stunting our spiritual growth. You get this. But this hospitality is not just meeting someone's materialistic need, but is meeting someone's spiritual need. Come in closer and don't miss this. There is nothing better than meeting up with someone at their home. You know why? As you sit down and you talk to someone at their home, as you sit at the table, as you drink coffee with them, they will be as honest with you as possible. They are very relaxed. They're able to share with you what's in their hearts. And there is something beautiful about meeting someone, talking with someone at their home. 
This is why for a Christian, if we're called to invest in others and disciple others, we must show hospitality by inviting people to your home. You don't get it, Kevin. My house is dirty. My kids dirty my house. I have laundry. I have all of this to do. Do not worry about that. Get them to come. Ask them to fold the clothes with you. <laughs> it's okay. Tell them, tell them I said it. <laughs> Blame it on me. Get them to cook with you. Get them to put your kids to bed with you. That's what hospitality is about. And I understand now Western culture is weird to do that. We would rather not invite people to our homes than even ask them to come and join us. Which one do you think is worse? Not inviting them to your homes. And here specifically, he shares that we ought to invite others. Show hospitality for Christians and also to strangers as well. When someone comes to the church for the first time, man, go out and eat with them. Get to know them. You might be tremendously blessed by that person. As a church, we must show hospitality. And finally, third, we must remember those who are in prison. I love this one. And notice me very carefully as we focus on the last point here. In verse 3, he says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Now stop one second. I struggle with this because I was thinking to myself, what exactly is the author of Hebrews saying here? Just like Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, uh, if you mistreat those in prison, then you mistreat me as well. If you don't visit those in prison, then you don't visit me. So there's a high emphasis on people who are in prison. And the first thing I think to myself here, especially in this text, he mentions to remember those in prison as if you are right there with them. Now let's just stop one second. Is the text saying to us, all of the people who have created a lot of crazy stuff in their life, criminals, they, 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 they stole, they have committed murder, they have done all of those things, and in prison now, is the text saying that I must remember them in such a way as if I'm right there with them when I have not done any of these things? Is the text saying that prison ministry is, is, is all about this, right? That God commands us to, to do prison ministry without even noticing what people are going through. Just care for people and say to them, everything is fine, even if you have created, uh, you've done something, uh, a criminal act, uh, we don't care about this, uh, they, they need to free you, uh, we, we need to be like Kim Kardashian, right? And this is exactly what she's doing. Going to prisons and saying, well, we need to release those people. Uh, uh, they've served two years, three years. That's enough. Is that what we are called to do as Christians? And coming closer, there are two things here that I want you to observe. First, he's talking about Christians. When he says to remember those in prison, explicitly here, he's talking about other Christians who were in prison for their faith. This is exactly what Jesus was referring to when he talks about visit those in prison. The whole context is based on those who were in prison because of their faith. 
they were wrongly accused because of their faith. And this is why he says, do it in such a way as if you are right next to them. Why? Because you have something in common with them, and that is your faith. That is your faith. Matthew chapter 25, verse 36 says, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Who is Jesus talking about? Who is he talking about here? Specifically, he is talking about those who are saved and wrongly in prison. Now, let's stop. Is Jesus saying prison ministry is wrong altogether? Should we not remember those in prison and evangelize to those in prison? Yes, we should. Yes, we should. But we should not look at this text specifically and take it out of context to say this is what we must do because we are going to struggle with Hebrews chapter 13. What text do we have? We have a lot of other texts that talks about how we are to treat others. And we look for great opportunities to share the gospel with others. And prison is a great opportunity to share the gospel with others. People are in prison for a reason. Many of them because they have done something wrong. And therefore they're in prison for a long time. So if we as Christians go and share the glorious gospel to them, we can see them come to know Jesus. So prison is a mission field. It is. It is a great place that we can share Christ with others. So Christians ought to go and share Jesus with those in prison. Prison systems are a political project. What they need above all things in prison are Christians going and saying, this is what the Bible talks about, a changed life. This is why we have in prison, so many people who go to prison, they spend five, six, seven years in prison, they come out of prison, get out of prison, they're released, and then they go back into their old lifestyle. But Christians, if we infiltrate the prison system and begin to share Christ, the changed life, the gospel, and people grab hold of that, then they will be a new creation. You see it. So we can go into the prison and share Jesus with people. It is also an international problem. It is a problem everywhere that we go. There are prisons everywhere. And we can make a major difference. Christians, we can. But there are two things that we observe here when he says to remember those who are in prison. Primarily, primarily, coming closer as I close, primarily, remember those Christians who are in prison right now because of their faith. Because they're sharing Jesus. It's perhaps not happening in America, but it's happening all over the world. There are Christians right now away from their family in prison because of their faith. So what are you called to do? Remember that. Pray for them. Think of them. Ask God to visit them. And then what, what else do we do? We look at the prison system today, and we say as Christians, God, God sent us to share the gospel. They have no hope. We want to give them hope. We want the gospel to transform their lives. But this is exactly what we have before us. 
as we observe the consuming fire of God on Mount Sinai, the consuming love of God on Mount Zion, we say to ourselves, God, there must be change in us. What are the changes? Continued love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Showing hospitality to strangers. And remember those who are in prison. This is what we are called to do. Will we do it? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your mercy and your grace. We're thankful for the truth within Scripture. We're thankful that we do have a great obligation to share Christ with others. God, use us here in this local congregation to love each other deeply with this brotherly love, tender affection. God, we show a sense of hospitality to strangers, hospitality to our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. And we open up our homes, God, to spend time with people, to pray with people, to know people. God, cause us to be great missionaries because that's exactly what you've called us to be. We are primarily missionaries, God. Missionaries who share Jesus to a lost world. So God, I know we are so busy in our lives doing things for ourselves Busy, God, working. Busy with schoolwork. Busy with activities. Slow us down, O oh Lord. Slow us down to see what is eternal. To allow our children to see what is eternal. And that's the soul. Souls of man. But God, I pray, Father, as well, that there is a great sense of us remembering those around the world, and maybe even in America, who have been imprisoned because of sharing their faith, sharing about Jesus. God, I pray that we can intensify, you can intensify our prayers for these people. Visit them, O oh Lord. Be with them. Be with their families, God. Perhaps we are not experiencing this today in America, but one day we will. Let us pray for those who are in prison. Let us also pray for those, God, who are in prison in America and all throughout the world. And God, they're at a point right now of feeling hopeless. Use us to bring the gospel, to share the gospel. Thank you for men and women who are doing this today, going into the prisons and the jail cells, and sharing Christ, the hope of glory to a lost world. We love you and we worship you. Amen. Amen.